This morning, we're going to be talking about the subject of hope in troubled times. Because we live in a world that a lot of times can be very crazy and frightening. And we as Christians many times get overwhelmed by the pressure of our society trying to push us into their mold. And all the tragedy that we see around us, it's very easy to get full of grief and pain with the things we see as well as the things we've had in our lives. But it's so important for us to realize that this is nothing new and we're not alone. So we're going to look about these topics in the life of Daniel. So turn with me to Daniel chapter 1. We're going to, I'm going to start off with a little bit of history today. I know some, so don't turn me off. Um, history is very important for us to understand that there's nothing new. There's nothing that's happened today that has not. And when we begin to see the reality behind the state scenes in history, we begin to realize it's not that different. And also, we need to remember that the people in the Bible were real people. They didn't walk five feet above the ground. They were ordinary men and women like you and me that God used to do extraordinary things and that he still wants to use ordinary men like you and me to do extraordinary things. So as we look at Daniel, who was he? Well, he was a son of either of royalty or the nobles. He was between the ages of 14 and 17, we best can figure. And he grew up under King Josiah. Josiah was one of the best kings in Judah. He brought the country back to God. He wiped out and removed the idolatry of his father Ammon and his grandfather Manasseh. And he brought revival to the land and turned the people back to the Lord Jesus. Well, not the Lord Jesus, but the Lord. Jesus wasn't there yet, but to the, to the Lord. And so he grew up in this time of revival and prosperity because God blessed them. And Josiah even saw this country grow in its, in its, because God was prospering them. And he saw their boundaries grow. And so Daniel grew up in this time. And then suddenly Josiah is killed in battle fighting the Egyptians. And his godless son, Jehoiakim took over and turned Judah back to its evil ways. The prophets had predicted for many, many years that God would wipe out Judah for its sin, but God had held off because of the godliness of Josiah and blessed them for that season. You see, this was a time of empires. There were, first there was the Egyptians, then there was the Assyrians that took over and ruled the area. And the time we're looking in, the Babylonian Empire is beginning to rise to its place of taking over. It's a little different from us today. We don't think about empires. But in our time, we know of Russia going after the Ukraine. Our last century, half our world was under the power of the communism. And they were held tight by that. We've heard of World War II, most of us weren't around then, but where the Germans and the Japanese and the Italians thought that they could run the world. So it's not too foreign for us, even though it's not our normal experience. But theirs was a time 
of empires taking over and ruling the land. And so this is where we pick up. So in Daniel chapter 1, verse 1, it says, In the third year of the reign of King Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. So what had happened was Assyria had been the power. Babylon was growing, and Assyria and Egypt banded together, thinking they could fight off Babylon and keep them from growing Well, they were defeated. So Assyria that ruled the entire Palestine area all of a sudden was defeated, and that was handed over to Babylon. And King Nebuchadnezzar in 605 B.C. decided after he gained the land that he needed to let everybody know he's the new man in charge. So he rolls up to Judah and Jerusalem and he besieged it. He didn't put in a full army. He just blocked off people coming and going so that Judah knew who the new man in town was. And so that's what's going on here. This was the first of three times that Nebuchadnezzar would come to Jerusalem. Verse 2, it says, And the Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand, and some of the vessels of the house of God. And he brought them to the land of Shinar, which is Babylon, to the house of his God, and placed the vessels in the treasury of his God. God's judgment was already showing because, he, because Jehoiakim had turned from God, so he handed him over to Babylon. They didn't even fight. They said, okay, you're the new one in town, you rule. And so, temples in those days were like the banks of today. That's where all of the treasures were. So all of the treasure was in the temple, and it was a polytheistic world. Every, every country had its god. And when they were in wars, it was a matter of who's god stronger. And so, Nebuchadnezzar, in the idea of the day, was going to show that his god was stronger than Jehovah. And so he was going to take some of the vessels from, he didn't take all of them, but some of the vessels from the temple to show who was now stronger. And of course, the vessels of the temple were all solid gold and, and silver. They were worth a lot of money. So he took those and he began helping them to realize they were now a conquered people. And he began to t- let them think that God was conquered by a pagan god. So verse 3 and 4, it says, And then the king commanded Ashbez, his chief eunuch, to bring some of the people of Israel, both of the royal family and of nobility. Youth without blemish, of good appearance and skillful in all wisdom, endowed with knowledge, understanding, learning, competent to stand in the king's palace, to, to teach them the literature and the language of the Chaldeans. So here's what happened. He pulls the royal families and the families of the noble. He brings them all together and he goes, you, you, you are coming with me. Imagine that. You see, it wasn't a big deportation. They were just taking a couple of the youth. Because it was a common practice to take that people from other countries and put them into your government to strengthen your country. At the same time, you were depleting the potential leaders of that other country at the same time. So you were weakening them so you could continue to rule over them. You were taking the best and the brightest so that you could have the power. And that's what he was doing. So what's happened to Daniel right here? 
He's taken five hundred over 500 miles away from home as the crow flies, which at that time it might as well have been the other side of the world. He's taken away from his family and all that he knows. He's thrust into a pagan culture. At the temples, there was the temple prostitutes in Babylon. And if you didn't like that, you could go to the female temples and then you'd find the homosexuals, the men, transgenders, transvestites, child slaves, prostitutes, whatever you wanted. And if that's what happens in the temples, imagine what happens in the society. Because in a pagan world, anything goes. There's no Judeo-Christian veneer like we have still left today that something's right or wrong morally. No, there's nothing. Anything goes. Sound familiar? Are the, elite, the immediate elites and the so-called progressive folks of our society think that that's enlightenment. But in reality, all it is is ancient paganism. And there's a reason why the Old Testament said those things were wrong, because they were going on all around Israel. So Daniel is taken from this cloistered environment with protection and thrust into this perverse world. In the temples, they were channeling spirits because it was demonic. They were worshiping demons. So there was chance, there was a cult. Everything was going on. And that was considered normal. Babylon was known as the center of wisdom. And the wisdom that they considered was all the occult things. And those were the things that Daniel knew was wrong, but he was going to be thrust in the middle of. Sure, he could still serve Yahweh. But it was a polytheistic world. It said, yeah, add, add Yahweh to the rest of the gods here. And you can worship them all. They didn't mind if you had a little bit of Yahweh, but you're going to worship their gods too. Sound familiar? Nothing new, folks. So they were going to take his culture. They were going to immerse him in his language. They were going to change their dress. They were going to push them into everything because they were, they were trying to reorient them into the ways of Babylon. That's why they were taking the young men. Because they could be formed and reoriented. Hitler did that with the Hitler youth. To form into his way. One other thing that most probably happened, there's high probability. The passage doesn't say it. But Second Kings, the prophet Isaiah had said to Isaiah, a judgment of God, and he said, starting in 2 Kings 20, verse 16, it said, Then Isaiah said to Hezekiah, Hear the word of the Lord. Behold, the day is coming when all that is in your house and which your fathers have stored up till this day shall be carried to Babylon. Nothing will be left, says the Lord. And some of your own sons shall be born to you, shall be taken away, and they shall be eunuchs in the palace of the king of Babylon. It doesn't specifically say this here, but rabbinic literature says that more likely that Daniel and his friends all were, became eunuchs. You see, that was a practice of the time. 
they felt that those who were eunuchs were easier to manipulate, they were more devoted, they were easier to do in the government. So it's very highly likely that that happened to Daniel and his friends. And if you don't know what a eunuch is, it's a castrated male. So that's a pretty heavy route for anybody, but somebody 14 to 17. So there's a lot of stuff here. An awful lot of stuff. A lot of trauma, if you can imagine. Losing everything, your family, your culture, your world, your dreams, potentially your sexuality, meaning you will never marry, you'll never have children, nothing. Daniel was an incredibly intelligent man with a huge, bright future, and he watched it go up in puff of smoke like that before his eyes. He would never see anybody again besides those that came with him. 20 years from then, Judah would fall, Jerusalem would be destroyed, and everybody Daniel knew would either be dead or scattered throughout the empire, and he would never see them again. That's tough. And there's a lot of responses that Daniel could have had to that. He could have become angry at God and say, look what you've done. Look what you, you didn't protect me. Look at all this has happened to me. He could have played victim and said all these horrible things and camped himself there in that victim mentality and got an attitude. He could have done that. Because he was paying for the sins of everyone else. Daniel didn't do it. His forefathers had sinned. The kings had sinned. And he was paying the consequence with his life. And he could have sat there in the camp of victim very easily. He could have compromised and said, this is too much pressure at me. I'm just going to blend in. Which many of the Jews did. They walked away and they blended in to the society. He could have walked away and said, God, this is too much. I believe what they're saying. The pagan gods really are more powerful than you. And you're not really who you said you are. And turned away there. Or he could have turned away and said, God, this, this isn't what I signed up for. I signed up for the bless me life. I signed up for everything to go my way. And I signed up to get everything I wanted. This isn't it. So I'm out of here. But he didn't do any of that. But he could have. He could have. Instead, he chose to follow the Lord. And so we're going to move to verse 10, 10, verse 5, for our first challenge here. It says, And the king signed them a portion, a daily portion of food that the king ate, of the wine and drink, and they were to be educated for three years, and at the end of that time, they were to stand before the king. So they're coming to Babylon, and the king calls out to them, what's going to happen? You're going to eat my food, you're going to go to Babylon University, and then you're going to stand before me, and you're going to prove how smart you are. Well, immediately, Daniel's like, Oh, my Lord, I'm one little Jew and this huge neighbor, this huge nation that I'm in. And they want me to eat pagan food. 
we're the chosen people and you have a whole standard. So the tension starts to build as Daniel's going, Lord, what am I going to do? How do I do this? And he starts praying and asking the Lord. Verse 6 just confirms what's happened. It says, among now those that were taken was Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, Azariah of the tribe of Judah. So Daniel had a couple friends that were taken with him. Verse 7, it says, and the chief of the eunuchs gave them new names. Daniel was going to be called Beshazzar. Hananiah was Shadrach. Mishael was Meshach. And Azariah was Abednego. So not only are they going to take your clothes away and put in pagan things, they're going to change your name. So nothing of your Jewishness will be allowed to be left. And Daniel's even made the name of one of the pagan gods. How easy just to lay back and say, I give up. So the tension's building. And he's saying, Lord, what do I do? Verse 8, But Daniel resolved that he would not defile himself with the king's food or with the wine that he drank. Therefore, he asked the chief of the eunuchs to allow him not to defile himself. The Lord gave him a plan. Some people would say, what's the big deal? It's just food, Daniel. Don't be legalistic. But food was a huge thing in the covenant of the old covenant. And you see, the pagan food was unclean. It was not kosher. They ate things that the Jews were not allowed to eat. And he was trying to set a boundary to not succumb to the culture, to be taken over by it. Because it was important as the Jews were thrust into a pagan world that would, this would last generation after generation as pagans came in, that they learned how to keep themselves separate and not be washed out. You see, they were the chosen people through the Messiah was going to come and going to be the messengers of the gospel to the world. So they were called to be different. That's why they had Sabbaths. That's why they had food clause. They had all these things because they were be different so that they could reach the world and represent the King of glory. Exactly like us today. We are called to be the church that is supposed to be separate from this society that we might reach them and represent Him. We are called to be separate and different like the Jews were. That was an example to us so that we can represent. John 17, when Jesus said, I'm not taking them out of the world, but they will be in the world, but not of it. And that's what we are supposed to be in this world, but not like it, not of it. And that's how we're going to reach it. And Daniel knew that, and he knew he had to set that separation even in something so small as food. So he resolved, which is a deep personal conviction in his heart. And he was very humble. He knew that who was in charge, the eunuch was in charge, and so he said, sir, can we bypass this and do this instead? Humble, humility, gave honor to the man, didn't walk in arrogance demanding something, but humility and giving honor to the place of authority. And he said, can we just have vegetables? Which they interpret today as more like a porridge based on grain. And so that's what Daniel was proposing instead. And so we see verse 9, it says, and God gave Daniel favor and compassion in the sight of the 
chief of eunuchs. Can you imagine the amount of power against him? Little Daniel, and the Lord gives him favor. God's miracle against this huge odds against him because he was willing to be faithful. You see, Judah was under God's judgment, but when anyone would choose to follow the Lord, he was right there to be with them and to begin to bless, and he did. Verse 10, the, the eunuch says, And the chief of the eunuch said to Daniel, I fear my Lord, the king who assigned your food and your drink for you. Why should you be seen worse condition than the other use your age? So this would endanger my head because of the king. Now let's talk about King Nebuchadnezzar a minute. King Nebuchadnezzar was an egomaniac. He was immoral. He was violent. He was arrogant, pompous. He was king. And back then, if you were king, you owned everything and you had all the rules. And you could do anything you wanted. And what was even worse, he was the biggest king. The greatest empire at the time. And that was Daniel's future boss. Imagine, I know if you're like me, you've had a couple bad bosses. Well, imagine this one. Because not only that, but he could say, you're dead. Period. And you're gone. No rights, no nothing. And you can't quit. So it's natural that the eunuch was going, I don't want to get killed. So, so Daniel, the Lord gives wisdom. as Daniel saying, Lord, what do we do? The Lord fills him with wisdom. And Daniel says, in verse 11, it says, Then he said to the steward whom the chief of the eunuchs was assigned over, Daniel, night, test your servants for ten days. Let us be given vegetables and water to drink, and then you'll test. So he's, he's honoring them. He's not trying to put the man in a bad space. Just 10 days. Nebuchadnezzar will never know. Just try it. And so that's what they do. Verse 14, and so he listened to them in this matter and tested them for 10 days. At the end of 10 days, it was seen they were better in appearance and fatter in flesh than all the youths who ate the king's food. Ten days. That's a miracle of God. Daniel was trusting the Lord. He was honoring the people. He was standing on the little things because God says, if you stand on the little things, I will use you in the big things. But you see, Daniel was setting himself and being willing to stand on something so small in other people's eyes, but it was huge with the kingdom of God. And God brought a miracle. How many of you ever tried a diet? <laughs> Do you see results in ten days? No! I don't. But in 10 days, they looked better. God's miracle was showing to the one who was willing to stand up and try. God says, I'm right here. I can work in this pagan system if you'll let me. So this, verse 16, the steward's like, no brainer. <laughs> you know. So the steward took away the food from, and the wine from all of them and gave them all vegetables. So the diet's changed. God brought a miracle because Daniel was willing to stand and be counted, even in the tough thing. He trusted against all odds. So verse 17, it says, So as for the use, which was Daniel and his friends, the God gave them learning and skill in all literature and wisdom. And Daniel had understanding in all visions and dreams. So they're thrust into Babylonian University 
where they're immersed in demonic things, paganism, pagan culture, occult things, and they're having to learn all this stuff. It's like, oh God, help me, Jesus. And the Lord did. And he blossomed them. He prospered them because they applied them and said, Lord, I'm going to do this unto you. I, I know you still have a plan. I'm not giving up. Work in this and help me. And even in the worst place, he was blessing their understanding and gave Daniel such amazing miracles. So then the oral exam comes and said, in verse 18, it says, at the end of the time, when the king commanded that they should be brought in, in the chief of the eunuchs, brought them before King Nebuchadnezzar, the king spoke with them, and among all of them found none like Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Therefore, they stood before the kings. And in every matter of wisdom and understanding about which the king inquired of them, he found them ten times better than all the musicians and the enchanters that were in his kingdom. Could that be God? When they said, Lord, I, I have to study all this wicked stuff. Help me. God blessed them and prospered and worked in them as they did unto him and were faithful. And, and horrible odds. And then verse 21 says, Daniel was there until the first year of the king Cyrus. Daniel lived and served in Babylon from 605 to 636 BC. He had 60 years of service that God blessed and worked through him for his integrity and filled him with wisdom to deal with all kinds of crazy things because he proved himself. And he became an example to the Jews of his day and the Jews for generations to come how, he could, how God could prosper them in captivity when they wouldn't take the bait. It wasn't Daniel's plan, but he surrendered to God's plan. And he let God do what he wanted to do. God still had a plan. He was eventually going to bring all of Israel back to their country. But it didn't look like it at the time because Nebuchadnezzar eventually would destroy all of Judah and burn the temple and take Jerusalem to the destruction. It didn't look like God had a plan in the natural, but God still had a plan. You see, many of the Jews gave up and jumped ship because of what they saw. And, they, and they're just known as Jews in name today. But see, Though Daniel never returned to Israel, he never saw the fulfillment himself or experienced it. He was faithful and God used him. He was a testimony to all the people. Leviticus 25, 23 said to the Jews in the Old Testament that in their land, they weren't to sell the land permanently to anyone because they were sojourners and the land belonged to God and their citizenship was really in heaven. And Daniel understood that and he never forgot who he was in the land of Babylon, that he was a sojourner and this was not his home. So what does this say to us? 
Well, Daniel had a heck of a lot of loss. And for me, I've had a heck of a lot of loss. I grew up most of my life in victim situations and relationships. I had piles of things taken from me in those days. After leaving that, I spent me years to put my head back together and to put the pieces back together. And I had other piles of things I lost in life because of that. And so for many years I stood in the land of victim with the banner over my head and my little U-Haul held behind me of all the loss of life. And the Lord said, I'm going to heal you and I'm changing you. And I'm calling you to leave that banner of victim behind you. You see, it doesn't matter if you've been victimized at a time. You don't have to live in it. You don't have to keep that banner over your head the rest of your life because some things have happened. And he said to me, bring that U-Haul. I'm taking it. You're not going to run around carrying all that loss behind you anymore. I'm going to take it and I'm going to do something with it. You see, Romans 8.28, people say it so tritely, but it's true. We have to understand that, and we know for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to His purpose, that He can work good out of anything that you trust to Him, you surrender to Him, you let Him work, and you let Him use it. He will work good no matter what other people tried to do to you. And that is true. Some of us in our society, our society tells us we should be bitter because that's the way you survive this society. But that, I did that for years. I had the wall of bitterness around me to protect me, thinking that it protected me. Hebrews 12 says, don't allow a root of bitterness to grow up to defiles many, and it does. The bitterness we've trusted in to protect ourselves defiles us and everyone else around us. And God says in Psalm 125, that as the wall surrounds Jerusalem, because they were walled city in those days, so the Lord surrounds those who trust in him. So we can let go of that wall of bitterness that we've trusted in to protect us and keep us from being hurt and know that the Lord is the wall. He is the one that will surround and protect us when we trust in him. And that's a much better plan. I don't miss my old bitterness. Neither does anyone around me. And we, like Daniel, are sojourners. I'm thankful that I was born in America, but it's not my home. I'm a citizen of heaven. And when America goes this way and God goes that way, I'm going that way. Because that is my inheritance. That is my kingdom. That's who I belong to. And like Daniel never forgot who he was and who he represented, we cannot forget whose we are and who we represent in this pagan world. You can just see it at that time how they all looked down their noses at Daniel. 
the little teeny Jew in the Babylon. Our God's bigger than your God. What are you bothering with, you little, you little nothing? And mocked his name. But you know what? There's a country of Israel today, and Babylon is in ruins. And while they may look down their noses at you and say, you stupid traditional people, what do you think you're doing? Your God's nothing. The end of the story is already written and we win. They may flex their depraved muscles, but the story is already, we know the end and we know who wins. And we will stay, regardless what it looks like with our eyes. We will stay the course. Isaiah 43 says this to us. Verse 18, it says, Remember not the former things, nor consider the things of old. Behold, I'm doing a new thing. Now it springs forth. Do, not, do you not perceive it? I will make a way in the wilderness and rivers in the desert. God has got a plan he is not caught off guard what's happening in our world. He has a plan and he's called us to hope in him and to trust that he has a plan of what he's going to do. There's a lot of similarities between the United States today and Israel at that time. Israel had turned from God, embraced paganism, saw all kinds of ugliness, and they were wiped out for a time. We've turned from God, embraced paganism, and we're seeing all kinds of craziness. We don't know what's going to happen to the country. But God has a plan for the people. In all this nonsense, people's hearts are really being opened. There is a harvest that's white, and there's a work for us to do, and that's what we need to get our focus on. Let others worry about what's going to happen to the country. But I'm going to reach the people that are being made white because God has a plan and he's still reaching people. And he's looking for us to get back to what this is all about, which is reaching people and not worrying about all the nonsense that's going on. We pray, we do whatever part, but we have to get back to what is this all about. Because... Like Daniel, we can't take the bait. We've got to choose. I'm going to live sold out for Jesus. I'm going to follow his plan. And I'm going to let him do what he wants to do. And also like Daniel, I'm not going to waste the time over what didn't happen than I thought or what hasn't happened. And I'm going to jump in what God's going to do because he has not abandoned us. He has a plan. He has a work he's going to do and he wants to involve us in it. And we need to engage ourselves and get in with what he's doing and forget about what's not happening. Forget about what should have been. Forget about what used to be. It's not but God's working today. Get your eyes on Him. He has a plan and He's wanting to work. And He's looking for those that are, have their eyes ripe for the harvest and will let Him use them in the fields. Make sense? Okay. So, we're going to close with this. If the Lord has spoken to you through all of this, I will be coming forward to pray with people. If you'd like to come to the altar and pray, because this is a heavy road.
and I've been feeling the heaviness of this for weeks. So I want to give us time because a lot of times what happens is the Lord's speaking to us, and I'm not trying to say I'm higher than anything else. Pastor Tim does this too because he's an anointed man of God. When we don't want to waste what God is speaking to us driving out the parking lot, Lord, if there's something in this that you're trying to tell me, work in me. And we're going to take time to let him do that. So I'm going to be up front if anybody wants prayer by me, or if you just want to come to the altar for prayer. But let's get this time and say, Lord, what are you saying to me in this? What are you working in me in this? What do you want me to know and take away from this? Sow this in my heart that I might be what I need to be.